every world became a garden, and for every garden there was a shepherd, and for all the shepherds a greater purpose. Open this world to the winding path, light the way where I wish to roam, across the seas of infinity for this weary traveler far from home. This is The Lost Tribe. Welcome back to The Lost Tribe. We continue this week with a reading of chapters 5 and 6 of the second book, Sins of the Father. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. If you are enjoying this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and follow to keep me bringing the story to you. Thank you for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 5 With one quick and calculated move, Manon broke Falkir's arm. The sensation was wrenching, but the pain was manageable. He had suffered much in his life, broken bones being low on the list of horrific acts against his body. Without missing a beat, Menon used his arm as a piston to push him back towards Nicholas's unconscious form. Felker managed not to fall on top of him. He caught himself and dropped down into a crouch, pulling his arm close to his body. If Jack hadn't been distracted, they could have taken him. Easy, but now he was too close. Falkir underestimated him. Menon took a step towards Lethia. <laughs> and who are you, beauty? Lethia let her form slip into the white-haired monster and floated upwards, above Menon. He looked up at her and smiled. Falkir maneuvered around slowly and put himself between Menon and the archway, which led to Flesh's unconscious form. He raised one eyebrow at Falkir, but made no other move. I am Lethia, and these are my people. Your actions against us have sealed your fate. Oh, just give me Lyconis, or tell me where he is, and I will depart with no further harm to your little band. I have no idea who that is. You're all making this harder than it has to be, but, you know, perhaps it has to be this way. She flexed her claws and flew down towards him. He watched her sail in at him and did nothing to stop it. Falkir gave Lethia the best chance he could and threw his four remaining knives at Manon in a volley at his heart. He raised his arms in defense, and the knives plunged into his forearms and shoulders. Lethia grabbed him and lifted him up in the air, her hands seeking his flesh to feed. Black droplets began to fall from them in a light rain from their twisting forms, Manon's wounds supplying the foul liquor. Falkir could not look away. Penny grabbed his wrist. We have to run, now! He shoved her away. You pitiful blind coward! I flee from no one! I will not leave flesh to this man's tender mercies. If you could see what I do... She shook her head and turned away. Do what you must, Falkir. Penny moved from him to Jack and wrapped him up in her arms. A second later, they were gone. He had never seen Penny move through worlds before. She was fast. She'd have to be as cowardly and weak as she was. He turned his attention to Lethia and Manon, who were now far above the battlements. He could barely make them out. But it was obvious that Manon was putting up quite a fight. Lethia cried out, which was followed by a peal of awful laughter. Falkir was torn. He didn't want to desert Lethia, but he had to get flesh out of her before it was too late. He reached down and shook Nicholas. Get up, you fool! You're slipping through the end of the bloody kingdom! Nicholas's head rolled to one side, and Falkir could see the blood seeping from a crack in his skull. He opened Nicholas's eyes, which were now cross-eyed. You're screwed. Nicholas grabbed feebly at his arm, and Falkir shook him off. His hand fell back onto the terrace floor and stopped moving. We're screwed. It's my fault for not warning my boat Manon. One last strangled cry issued from far above him. It was Lethia. He looked up to see a huge explosion of green light erupt from them. What the hell was he doing? 
Falkir scrambled to one side as they fell towards the terrace. Manon landed on his feet. In his arms, he held Lethia's limp form. He had one arm across her shoulders and another at her belly. He looked up at Falkir. Where is Lycona's, Falkir? Who the hell do you mean? Damned if I know. Manon dug his fingers into her stomach. How right you are. Lethia's eyes opened, and she screamed as he twisted his fingers. Slowly, tendrils of blackness began to drift up from her body. Manon opened his mouth and began to suck them in. Falkir stumbled back and away. It was all he could do to get away from him. Who was the coward now? Lethe began to wither and empty, her body shriveling as Manon drank her in. Falkir was out of knives, and out of time. He turned and ran through the archway and down the hall towards Flesh. What's wrong, boy? he shouted. I know you're not squeamish. Don't you want to say goodbye to your queen? He turned around and took one step towards Manon before he stopped himself. I must not fail her. I must get away. Menon dropped Lethia's shriveled corpse to the floor. Like I said before, Falkir, you and I have a lot in common. I doubt most people would understand your need to feed as I do. I am sure, however, that not even your comrades understand why you're so eager to protect the woman who gave you back your life. The real reason, anyway. You know nothing of me! His face changed. The rage bubbling up in his gut and ignited his power. The beast was now in control. He cried out in exultation as his maw distended and lengthened to accommodate his marvelous teeth. Felkir felt his form lengthen and bulk up as his muscles regrew, and his bones creaked. His broken arm reared itself, and he flexed it into a defiant fist. Are you will learn. Manon laughed as Felkir bounded forward at him, his claws desiring the sinew of his guts. Whatever bitterness flowed in his veins, I would see how he did without a good portion of it. They met in the middle of the hallway. He cut him across the chest, and Manon grappled with him. He flung against the wall, stunning him for a second. Falkir responded with an uppercut that slashed at his breast, and drew a long cut up his face from his lips to his eyebrows. Manon giggled as it split open and bled. It was Falkir's turn to throw him around. He grabbed the front of Manon's jacket and tossed him, headfirst into the opposite wall in a cartwheel, pivoting with full measure of his strength. He managed to get his arms out to cushion the blow, but Manon's head still impacted him directly against the stone. He slid down the wall and slumped to the floor. He moved over to finish him. As he reached down to rip out his throat, Menon opened his eyes and smiled. This is how you found your mother, dead in a ditch, the waste product of your relationship with your sadistic father. Small wonder that you protect flesh the same way you do. Your loyalty is touching. I will demand the same. How do you know about that? Falkir asked, his rage turned to bewilderment. I was in your head. I know about what you're thinking and the memories that flicker by when you're deep in thought. I know that you're just trying to pay back flesh for what she gave you. Unlike your mother, who you can never repay because you were too late to stop her from dying. I can help flesh, Valkyr. I can give her back to you. Valkyr began to transform back. The energy was bleeding out of him. If there was any chance that I could help her, why would you help us? You just murdered Lethia Nicholas, although him I didn't care for much. Either way, it's strange that you would want to help. Menon rose from where he had been slumped over. His wounds began to heal and the ichor stopped flowing. He pulled a handkerchief from inside his jacket and began to wipe the stains from his face and hands. First of all, he said, sticking his hands in his pockets, I don't like power struggles. Your little queen didn't seem like the cooperative type from what I've seen in your head. The guy with the fire pissed me off, though. I cracked his skull because of it. That doesn't explain your interest in me. Or your offer to help Flesh. It's pretty simple, Falkir. I need you to help me find Lycona so I can do what needs to be done. And get some payback. 
If you agree to do that, I'll restore flesh. There wasn't much he could do. The bastard was nigh unkillable, just toying with me. The bastard was good. And when you have your revenge... His face lit up in a joyful grin. After that, I won't care what happens to any of you. It will all be irrelevant. That's... great? Falkir replied, his heart filling with doubt. Cheer up, Falkir. <laughs> Why don't you show me to your girl and we can get started? Chapter 6 Henry's face was a study in the power of the most outlandish of truths to truly mollify even the most ardent disbeliever. He sat down heavily on one of the barrels next to the stairs and exchanged a glance with Takum. Casey was still standing and was shaking her head. Otomo silently brooded where he had knelt on the floor while I told them what I had discovered. Apostos just looked forward. I understood how he felt. We had to get moving, but it was a lot to absorb for all of them. So, uh, if I understand what you're saying correctly, Henry said, this father thing created a set of worlds with a bunch of shepherds to watch over them so that they could reach some kind of new level of understanding and we're all like apostos, shepherds, until something happened to you and you corrupted and killed some or most of us? Apostos and his other brothers stopped you and stuffed us all into new bodies with no memories of what happened. Then it really gets ugly. <laughs> Enter the kingdom, your disfigured hand, all full of darkness. Father gets pissed and decides to use you to wipe out the kingdom using a sword he made to do it with in exchange for a world where we don't to run anymore? Yeah, that's right. I was thinking how odd it was when put so simply. Nothing was simple. Aw, oh, you forgot the part where Father blows up all creation if Mick fails, Casey said. Henry shrugged. Yeah, sorry, and here I thought we had it rough before. There's more, I said. More? God, or should I say, Father, what else can there be? I don't know if this will help at all, because you might think I've gone crazy, but here it is. I don't think we can trust Father. That is not crazy, Mick, Otomo said, raising his eyebrows at me. I do not know if I could trust him either, considering the power that some of us possess would not be unusual if one of us were, say, masquerading as a god. You think that's true, Mick? Casey said, coming over to sit by me. I felt a flutter in my heart as she sat down. I'd been missing her so much, and her betrayal had hurt me. Having her this close was making it hard for me to say what I had to. I looked away from her to Henry. I don't know. Anything's possible, but I doubt Father is one of us. The problem right now is that while I was down here... Lyconis kind of started speaking to me. That is not possible, Mick, Apostos said. Well, <laughs> many things that I think most of us thought that are impossible are happening regardless of that fact, Apostos, Henry said. You failed to understand my meaning, Apostos replied. I was there when Lyconis was stopped. I stopped him. I was also there when a father took each of my fallen brothers and sisters from their shells and put them inside what would one day be your souls. Father told us then that the essence of what they were remained, but the memories were lost. I hoped Lyconis was listening. I had planned on trying to get Apostos to talk about what had happened. There was something missing from the whole puzzle. I believed that Lyconis would either catch Apostos in a lie or confirm what he was saying so that I could put trust in Apostos. 
I did people I could trust, and apostles still sat on the fence in my mind, despite what Father did or did not do to put me at ease. But why, apostles? Why preserve the essence of the shepherds? Especially the ones that turned. I mean, no offense, Mick. None taken, hon. I'm not like Conus. She nodded and looked away from me. Father told me that energy cannot truly be destroyed but becomes something else. Father told me that energy cannot truly be destroyed but becomes something else. I assumed he did not want to waste what we were, perhaps make something good come out of that tragedy. I truly don't know the reason. It is my purpose to obey. Blindly? Otomo asked. I put my trust in him. It is all he has ever asked of me. What if I told you that Lyconus is missing his memories of when he met with Father before he became corrupted, until when he was in the midst of destroying the rest of you? Of us, I asked. That makes no sense. Even if Lyconus did survive, it is impossible to know what of him lived and what did not. This is going to be hard for Apostos, but I had to press him on the point. What if I told you that I think the darkness inside those of us who corrupted survived? And the memories of the shepherds remained in that darkness. Lycona said he started coming back with the darkness after flesh repaired my hand. It's like she used her power to open up the darkness inside me, and he came with it. You have to admit that it makes a weird kind of sense, doesn't it? Apostle said nothing, and leaned away. Oh, that's okay, Mick. You're, you're trying to make a dutiful son admit that a parent has made a mistake. I remember walking in on my mother with her first lover. It was then that I realized how imperfect parents really are. I barely was able to grab Apostos before he had his hands on Henry's throat. Looked up to see Takum put down his one hand, smirk, and nod at me. Henry's guardian angel was always on duty, thankfully. Henry straightened his lapels, grinning smugly. Your mother's not the maker of all things. She's not possessed of the power to remake the scope of creation on a whim. Father can do that. He can do that. If you doubt it for a second, I can take you to Lyconis' world. It is a graveyard because Father had to stop the corruption there before it spread. He did it because it was his will. No mistakes were made. It occurred to me then that maybe Apostles was right. No mistakes were made, which was a much scarier thought than any other. I tucked my thoughts away for the moment. There was no point in voicing them right now until I had some more time to figure out what the real implications of them were. Look, I know I brought this all up, but I have to admit that we have more pressing matters, don't we? I said, trying to change the subject. I guess we do at that, Henry said, his hand digging in his coat for his lighter. I swapped his lighter into my hand, wicked at Henry, and tossed it to him. Cheeky bastard, he mumbled. You have some kind of plan. You have some kind of plan, Decoom said, stepping off the stairs and joining us. Yeah, but let's sit down and grab something to eat, I replied. I hate saving the world in an empty stomach. We adjourned to the dining cabin, which I'd never been in before. It was more luxurious than any mess I'd ever dined in on any of the ships in the fleet. The room was long, possibly a third of the deck, and had a large oak table in the center, flanked by stools and lit from above by small iron chandeliers. There were portholes along the side, showing the fall of snow outside into Roche. Back on the Golden Maria, we were rationed tinned beef, rum, and lemon water. And we ate it on our bunks. This was truly something else. Platters of beef, chicken, and wild game greeted us when we entered. Jugs of some wonderful smell of liquor were set on the table. Then, to my astonishment, fresh fruit made its appearance. I greedily eyed an apple that sat atop of one bowl. Instantly, it was in my hand. Casey punched me in the arm. Ow! Save some for the rest of us, you jerk, she said, smirking at me. Sorry, I'm just really hungry. Seeing as you can have anything you want if you can visualize it, Mick, what is so appealing about an apple? 
scooping up a clutch of dark grapes for himself from a bowl. Visualizing is one thing, but I can't have anything I want. It has to exist in the world I'm on. You wouldn't believe some of the funky things I've ended up with instead of what I hoped would be available, I replied and bit to the apple. It was delicious and very sweet. I stood there, savoring every bite. Good lord, Vic, Henry said, clapping me on the back. You haven't even had the beef yet. Let's sit down. You can feed the needs, so to speak. We sat down together. Casey sat beside me. Henry sat down at the head of the table with Takum on his right. Otomo sat beside Apostos across from Casey and I. The odd man out indeed. We all ate with abandon, save Apostos, of course. I knew I was starving, but I hadn't considered that perhaps my companions were just as hungry. Casey was particularly ravenous. She didn't touch the alcohol. Hardly any of us did. We all probably feared what would happen if one of us used our powers while we were drunk. No one spoke as we ate. It was Apostos who first spoke. Hope you are all enjoying the meal. The worlds are sitting on the edge of a knife while you digest. And here I had hoped to digest in peace, Otomo said. I snatched up a glass of wine and stood up from the table. I moved over to the nearest portal and began to sip up my glass. I saw Apostos raising his eyebrows. He got up from the table and moved to join me. I pretended not to notice. Did you not hear me, Mick? He said in a hoarse whisper. Trelane is probably in the middle of a fairly decent apocalypse, and you lot are having high tea? I grabbed him by the shoulder and pulled him close. Get Jack and Penny and bring them here. Can you do that? Of course. Father did not restrict my powers entirely. The kingdom is still fair game. But why would that help? Don't worry about it. Bring them here as quickly as you can. As you wish. Apostos abruptly disappeared. I laughed at myself a little as a small rush of power welled up in me. We were all servants to something now. What the hell? Henry shouted. I turned to see Henry, Takum, and Casey on their feet. Otomo was sitting very calmly at the table, his hands out in front of him. There are two more guests for dinner, Henry. Can you handle that? Oh, this is still my ship, Mick. I say who comes on board and who doesn't. Where did Apostos go? I exerted my power, summoning the rope that I had been tied up with in the hold. To grab his tactical advantage, I said to Henry. Who tied me up, anyway? Casey got up and grabbed the rope from my hand. That'd be me, she said. I'm good with the knots. <laughs> oh, the possibilities. She slapped me in the chest with the rope and pointed at my face. You're not out of the doghouse yet, Mick. She looked at me and sighed. Who the hell am I tying up now? That depends on Otomo. What depends on me? I turned to him and held up my hand. I need your sword. I don't want to have to take it from you, but I will if I have to. Please hand it over. I will do no such thing, he said, standing up. What do you need a sword for? Dekum asked. Insurance, I said, tuning up some energy to summon a Tomo sword to me if it came to that. Against what? Henry asked, reaching into his coat pocket. I would imagine that Mick doesn't want him to chop our heads off, Penny croaked, suddenly behind me. They had arrived. I swapped Otomo's sword into my hand, and dove forward as he sprang up and across the table, his fist no doubt raised to deliver destruction on Jack. He went ghostly, and I passed through him. Damn it! I was hoping to avoid this. I spun around in time to see Otomo get smashed out of the air by a bolt of green lightning. It actually hit him. I looked back to see Henry holding a smoking, ornate-looking gun that glowed with power. He spun it in a cute little circle on one finger and put it back inside his coat. Necessity is the mother of invention, Mick, Henry said. I'll bet you're glad you came quietly before, aren't you?
Once again, thank you all for listening and tuning into The Lost Tribe Sins of the Father. Join me next week when the story continues, and remember to follow this podcast and share it to keep the story going. 